listener production. <clears throat> Take it away, my dulcet toned Adonis. I really thought you were going to start with ding ding, bitches. No, toot toot. Toot toot. Toot toot, um, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Gisners. Welcome back for another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to discuss at a dinner party. Sorry about the delay. Yes, well, it's uh, sort of my fault, but not really. Listen, Mm. I had to work in Adelaide and silly me, I just assumed, well, if the borders are open. If the state is letting me in, then surely the studio will let me in. So I didn't really think about it. And then the day before we were going to record and I was going to record from the Adelaide studio, they were like, no, we're scared of COVID. We're not letting you in. And so then I rushed to get a microphone from our producer, Lindsay, that I could take with me to Adelaide. And I, I built a little makeshift studio set up sitting on the shower floor of my hotel with a doona around canoe. me, a doona canoe, but it just didn't it just wasn't working. It didn't sound good and we didn't want to, like, record a shitty sounding app. So um, we just said, let's just do it on Monday when I'm back from Adelaide. So yes. Once again, COVID affected My you bad. more than anyone yes. else on the planet. Yes. <laughs> but, hey, it's, it's, it's really Valentine's does. Day, baby cakes. Happy Valentine's. Happy Valentine's. Yeah. Happy Valentine's. Happy day that Captain Cook got murdered by Hawaiian um People on the island. Is this the Yay. anniversary of that as well? Yes, it is. Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> cheers to that. Good for them. Yeah. Cheers to that. Um, yeah, happy Valentine's. Um, and, yeah, things are exciting. I've been working on some exciting stuff that I'm not allowed to say until the press release goes out. So mm-hmm. everyone was very excited that I put up a post saying I'm working on a TV show, and everyone was like, what is it? And I was like, I'm not allowed to say. So then it kind of sounded like I was that kid at school who says they have a boyfriend, but he goes to another (laughs) school, like kind (laughs) of like I was. (laughs) Okay, Rosie, TV Mm. show, sure. (laughs) But (laughs) it is real. I'm just not really allowed to talk about it yet. Mm -hmm. But exciting. That's why I was in Adelaide. And um, you've been looking after an epileptic dog. So Once again, yes. (laughs) Oh, Clearly had equally exciting weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot going on, but I have spent quite a bit of time rehearsing our little dance number and what I've learned is that... Oh, um, I haven't. <laughs> uh <Uh-oh. laughs> That might have been what caused the epileptic fit for her, the poor thing. She Maybe. gets so excited and worked up when she's watching me prance around. Um, uh, yeah, that could have been what caused the problem. Oh. Jacob just dropped one of the names of the artists in our dance number and we bleeped it because it's a surprise, Jacob. (laughs) It's three and a half minutes of ridiculous nonsense dancing and it is a surprise. And you haven't been rehearsing all baby cakes. We'll have to get you back on it this week. I go, like I, I run through the steps. Like, I remember the steps, but I haven't been full ball rehearsing because my brain has just been fried from all the work I'm doing. But, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember the steps. I learned it really fast. Really fast. I was so amazed. Yeah, Very Jacob impressed. came. So Jacob's job was to learn this dance that I demanded we do. I told everyone about, what, 
towards the end of last year, come to the show, we're going to do a ridiculous dance number. And then when we finished recording, I said to Jacob, by the way, it's your job to come up with the ridiculous dance number. And I've been cursing her name ever since. (laughs) But he did it. And you came to Melbourne a couple of weeks ago and we um, went and rehearsed at an empty stage space at the Comics Lounge and you taught me. And it probably took me, what, we rehearsed for a couple hours a day for two days, like a few hours a day or a couple hours a day for two days? Yeah, yeah. And um, it's, let me tell you, it is, it's a workout. It is a workout. We are mm-hmm. dripping in sweat by the end of it, or at least I am. <laughs> and for days after, I can barely move. Like, Caleb thought it was just so funny. Like, I could barely even get up off the couch without, like, groaning mm. because I was so sore. So, yes, I really do need to start fully practising it properly. This has been a really (laughs) confronting experience that's really shown me how old I really am. I know. Same. (laughs) Same. For me, it's also how unfit I am. Because it's a solid aerobic workout. Like, we Mm. are not doing this dance number by halves. It is, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. So, um, but come see it. Come see it. Yeah. Buy tickets. Just the Just Live. Just the Just Live. It's um, selling out. It's, Sold out in a lot of places, actually, mm-hmm. um, which is great. But um, go and check your city, your town, whatever. What is it? Just the just live. I don't know. Just Google it and find the You'll thing. Find I should know the mm. website off by heart, but I don't. <laughs> Sorry. We'll put um, it in the yeah. show notes as well. Just make it that little bit easier. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes, the link in the show notes. Um, but we would love to see you all there. Um, and... Um, we're we're making a spectacle of ourselves, which will not be in the podcast episodes because we wanted to give the people who were coming to the live show something just for them. Mm-hmm. So if you want to see two thirty two thirty five year old drama school dropouts Nelly break their bodies in half trying to entertain you, please come. <laughs> there will also be stories. I oh, and, you. and their stories. Yeah, I keep forgetting about those. We will also do just the gist stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There will also be that. But um should we should we do some breaking news? Please. Let's. <gasps> breaking news, breaking news. I got the scope. I see extra, extra. Read all about it. A breaking news. It's coming down the wire. I gotta tell you, something really confronting just happened. On the computer screen in front of me is like mm-hmm. this sound thingy. And whenever you talk, the line goes up and down like a lie detector. <laughs> and when I do the break and use things, I almost break it the breaks. screen. <laughs> That's not great. <laughs> that must be what it's like to listen to. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> I just had a visual representation of how annoying my voice is as I was singing right in front of me. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Didn't like that. <laughs> okay. Okay, we're going to have to talk about this first because it just came out and a lot of people said, yeah, right, you're in Adelaide working. The reason you can't release an episode is because you're too busy watching Inventing Anna. Mm. Oi! Have you, you watched it? I'm almost finished. I've oh, got a little you're bit further left to along, go. You're further along than me then and do you want to know why? Because I hate it. It's shit. Mm. It's not good. How far good. in are you? Uh, I'm up to like episode, I think, five. Uh-huh. And how many is there? Ten? Nine or ten, yeah. You're Nine about or ten. Halfway. It's 
It's just not a good show. I mean, it's very Shonda Rhimesy, so it's a bit cheesy, which all her stuff is, but that's not a bad thing mm. often. It's just not very good, I think. What do you think? Julie Garner's great. She's terrific. Actually, I think she, it, the girl who plays Anna is good. Yeah, yeah. All the performers I've thought have been pretty great. Yeah. Um, it's only just now started to get interesting for me now that they're investigating Anna's father, which you'll see in uh, episode, what, eight or nine or something. That's yeah. when it started to pique my interest, to be honest. Up until this point, it sort of ended up being a bit of background noise a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, But when I am actually watching it, it's very pretty to look at. Like the Mm. production values are incredible. The costumes are amazing. Um, But, yeah, what's your main criticism? um, Just that it's a bit cheesy, to be honest. Um, It feels a bit cheesy. Also that it's kind of making – it's kind of making a whole thing of like she is the queen of hashtag girlboss culture – like, mm. she's not actually a criminal. She's actually just kind of a girl boss. And mm. guys doing this kind of stuff get away with it. And they have this – and the only reason she won't is because she's a woman. And and they have this kind of weird parallel with her and Billy McFarland, the guy yeah. who did the <laughs> fire fest. And I, I can't remember if, if it's actually true that she slept on his couch for a few days. I mean, she probably did. Um, or whether they just completely made that up. But, um, mm. but they have this kind of parallel between – her sort of trying to pull her scam together at the same time as he's trying to pull Firefest together and she's talking to him and the way they sort of put those two together is like she has so much more integrity than him Mm. because the idea she's got is like really legitimate and proper and he's just a party boy and an idiot Mm -hmm. and like it's so unfair that... But I don't even know what they're trying to say because it's not... It's almost like they're trying to say men get so much more credit than women do, but he didn't. Everyone thought he was an idiot and he got sent mm-hmm. to prison. So what are mm-hmm. you trying to say with this? Like, yeah. and they're, they're just kind of trying to, they constantly try to push this narrative that she's, uh, that it's a feminist story and that mm-hmm. she's a girl boss and that if she were a man, she would be admired, but because she's a woman, people call her a scammer. And I mm-hmm. just don't think that's accurate because... They Billy Farland, Billy McFarland. Everyone thinks he's a scammer. Yeah, Nobody yeah, admires yeah. what he did with Firefest. I just I don't know what they're trying to say. I don't know what the the what the message is. I mean, and and also, I mean, I guess because they made this in consultation with Anna Delvey mm. or Anna Sorokin, and um, you know, they had to. There was a lot of controversy at the time because they were paying her a lot of money, and then there's this law, the law in America that you can't make money off the proceeds of a crime. Yep. So then they weren't allowed to pay her money. So then they had to like they they did pay her, but I think they did it by sort of setting up a whole bunch of companies and trusts in other names, and she definitely got paid mm-hmm. for this. And maybe because they made it in consultation with her, it inadvertently became a bit more sympathetic to her. I mean, I mm-hmm. don't know. I just don't know what it's trying to say about her. I'm one of the things that I caught was how sadistic she was. I didn't realize, and I don't know if this is just totally fictionalized or if they really picked up on it, but she seems to really enjoy hurting people, putting mm. people down. Like that's like one with of the that reporter that I, calling her fat and stuff. Yeah, 
constantly yeah. putting her down and then throughout the series she does it to other people again and again. She seems to take so much glee knowing that she's causing people pain, anguish and difficulty. Um, so that didn't make it seem like they were trying to be more sympathetic towards her. But, yeah, you're right. They are trying to push this sort of feminist angle and as you go through another few episodes you'll see how there are a lot of men who she conned who don't face any consequences mm. for falling for the con and they make a very big sort of point out of that not to give too much away. Yeah. Um, well, But, yeah, it's fluff. It's very sugary. It's very sugary, isn't it? It's very, But mm. that's Shonda Rhimes, I guess. So I don't know. I mean, a lot of people have made fun of Julie Garner's accent, but when you hear Anna Delvey talk, that is that is how she talks. Like she, mm. Julie Garner nailed the accent. Yeah. The reason the accent sounds so bizarre is because it's not real. <laughs> like yeah. she was pretending to be from several different places. But um, oh, I don't know. It's just not. I think for probably because we've been waiting for it for so mm. long, it, it it's just a bit disappointing. And then there's still apparently that other one in the works that's um, being made by Lena Dunham, and that one is based on the book written by the girl she um, ripped off in Morocco, the rich girl, Natural. who mm. they made out in this. That's another thing I noticed. They made that girl out to be really awful and vapid and kind of deserving of what she got. And that's because Anna Delvey and um, Neff, the concierge at the hotel, both mm. openly talk about how, how much they hate Rachel. Mm. And so I think because they're the ones consulting on this, that meant that Rachel was made out to be a really awful person. Mm. Um, but when you read her book, I mean, she is a little insufferable in her rich girl bubble. and mm. um, But like... She's. I don't think she was that awful <laughs> the way they made her out. Like, you know, that moment where they're like, oh, this is where Gandhi once um, knelt at the whatever of our pool and she's like, oh, my God, this is where Khloe Kardashian posted mm. a selfie. Like, I think there was more nuance to her than that. But the Lena Dunham project is based on her from her perspective. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I've heard that that's in the works. I don't know where it's at. But that will probably be on HBO so it will be. It won't be as sugary mm-hmm. if it ever happens. Oh, is there a cloud hanging over it? You think it might not go ahead? Oh no, I just mean in TV development land. I don't know where it's at or what's going on with it. I haven't heard about it in a while. Mm. Yeah, mm. but in total contrast to this letdown of a sugary show is the trailer for the dropout. Looks incredible. I haven't seen it. Oh. oh. Pause, watch it right now. Everybody go and watch it right now. Watch it right now. It's like two and a half minutes long. Watch it right now. Hey, Jisners, you know I like an excuse to sing. And what better opportunity than a filler song? Because Jacob is currently watching the trailer to the dropout and we can't let you listen to it because of copyright issues. We don't have enough money to pay for it because we are not that a big of a deal. So we can't let you listen while he's gasping and laughing and loving the trailer of the dropout okay this is about enough time i think he's done watching now we'll cut back 
right into the podcast and you'll just hear him laughing like he's finished watching it. <laughs> Oh. How good does it work? Oh, yes. my God. The dropout. Yes. How the good is that trailer? Is incredible. Stephen Fry? Yeah, Stephen Fry plays that older scientist who ends up taking his own life because he can't handle oh. all the lies going on in the company. It looks, that looks good. And it's yeah, coming yeah. out soon. Like, I am so excited for the dropout. And I honestly, when I found out... um, uh, it was Amanda Seyfried. I was a bit like, is she going to be able to pull this off? But she looks amazing. Incredible. Yeah, perfect. Sounds amazing. The voice when she does it, you're like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Oof, I'm so excited for the dropout. I got a little goosey bumps from that. Yeah. I know. Um, oh, but you're going to keep another... going with Inventing Anna? Oh, yeah, I'll finish it. I never mm-hmm. start a show that I don't finish. I'll finish it, but it's just not. It's just a bit, eh, it's uh-huh. okay. I'm, I have um, hope that it's going to have a really strong finish. Like it's starting to feel really interesting, the point that I'm at now, investigating the dad. Yeah, but a strong finish can't make up for 10 average episodes. Yeah, right, fair. Like I feel more excited and entertained watching a two-and-a-half-minute trailer for The Dropout than I have watching any episodes of Inventing Anna. <laughs> so... You know, I just, it's not been great, but I'll finish it. Um, Speaking of actresses who I didn't think could pull a role off and then I absolutely have um, mud on my face because they did, Kristen Stewart nominated Mm. for an Oscar for Spencer. Uh, We've got to go see that. We've got to go see it. Melbourne next week. We really must go see it because we doubted her. Well, I doubted her. I think you did too. I can't remember. Yes. But um, she must be amazing if she's been nominated for an Oscar. No? Who else was nominated? Um, I forget the rest. Uh, Nicole Kidman for being the Ricardos, for playing Lucille Ball. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, which is a mm-hmm. film I could not want to watch less. Um, and some other people. I don't know. I'm pretty sure Chris from the list... From the list, I'm pretty sure Christian Stewart's going to win. I remember looking at the list and going, there's not even, maybe Nicole is, but I don't think so. I think Christian Stewart will win. Never in a million years would I have predicted that that girl from that Twilight movie would end up being even nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with being in a teenage like film, in a Twilight movie or whatever. Most actors coming up started doing stuff like that. But she's just been so one note in every role I've seen her in. She has mm. played Christian Stewart being sulky. Like I've never seen her do anything different. And I've always said if I see her playing a valley girl bimbo cheerleader, then I'll believe that she can do something different. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I've li- she literally just plays sulky kind of unaffected cool girl who's a bit weird. And until now, she's done that poorly, right? It's one thing to do that well. It's another to do it in a way that makes you cringe. She's just done the same role the whole, since forever, ever, even since Panic Room. In Panic Room, she was a sulky kind of alternative, you know, 
kind of left of centre girl who isn't like other girls. And mm. she was 10. <laughs> like she's been playing just the same role since forever. And so when people started saying she was spectacular in Spencer, I was like, well, I need to see this. And now she's nominated for an Oscar. So, so mud on intrigued. my face. Oh, one thing I did see, Kirsten Dunst was finally nominated for Best Actress. Yes, for The Power of the Dog, which I keep going to watch, but it's like really long and it looks intense and I just haven't been in the right headspace to watch it. It's on Netflix. Mm, It's good. It is good. Is it good? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And her fiancé is in it, who was also nominated. I love him, Jesse Plemons. He did a really good job as well. Um, Yeah. And Benedict Cumberbatch did a great job as well. But... Mm -hmm. um, Kirsten's awkward son kind of steals the movie. You'll see. You'll well, see. he's he got nominated for an Oscar too, Cody Smith-McPhee. Deserves he's it. He's an Australian Deserves kid. It. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, he's Australian and they're saying he'll probably win. It's really good. You need to watch it, everyone. Oh, interesting. It. All the, This breaking news is basically just recos. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, another thing that everyone should watch, um, The Tinder Swindler. I was, this was on my list to ask you it's about. Really I don't good. know what this is, but people keep talking about the Tinder swindler. And I was like, I'm going to leave that for you to walk me through. Well, yeah, it came out, I think, like a week ago. And when I was in Adelaide working on my show, my brain was so fried at the end of every day. I couldn't, it wasn't like the power of the dog kind of viewing yep. time, you know? And so the Tinder swindler was there. And I was like, oh, I'm sure I'll like this. And it is just about a guy who, a scammer, and you know how much I love scammers, who Mm. basically matched with women on Tinder, convinced them he was a billionaire, and then ended up ripping them all off. And so the documentary makers have found a whole bunch of the women he swindled Mm. and um, have, yeah, made a documentary about it. It is so effing fascinating. I just, A, the, the fact that he, the way he did it, which is really interesting, but B, the fact that these women fell for it and got gave him so much money. I <laughs> he basically was doing a dating pyramid scheme. So he would be scamming mm. one woman for her money and then using that money to spend lavishly on the next woman to convince her that he was rich. Mm. And so then when he would say to the next woman, oh, some weird things happened with my bank, she'd be like, well, he's been spending all this money on me for months. And so then she'd start giving him money and then he'd start dating the next woman. Like, it's really fascinating. And when I watched it, I think it was the day it came out on Netflix and I went and followed him on Instagram and he was still on Instagram. But then the the documentary just, like, went viral worldwide and the next day he had, had like, like, deactivated his Instagram. Right. Is but he... I went through it and he still had all these photos up of like him on jets and doing stuff and yeah, he's a total scammer. Has he been arrested? Is he facing charges? Well, no, because nothing he's really like he he was arrested for a bit, but nothing he's really done is like super illegal, like cuz uh-huh. people have given him money willingly. Right. So he was arrested. Like, I don't want to give away the documentary. At one point he does get arrested, but he's not in, he's not in prison right now. Uh-huh. Like, at, at the moment he's free. In what country? Um, He's from, like, where is he from? Some Like, Russia or something? I can't remember. Uh-huh. Um, 
Yeah, and they go to find him and it's just, you've got to watch it. He's just okay. prolific and he's ripped off so many women. It is like just a really fun documentary to watch. Okay. It's like a movie length documentary, The Tinder Swindler. It is so good. On the list. Thank you. So, so good. Oh, you're so welcome. And, um, oh, okay. Here's not a reco. Here's just something that I am furious about. Mm-hmm. Ropeable. So angry. <laughs> The cast was announced for Celebrity Gogglebox Australia Mm. and Caleb and I are not in it. (laughs) Do you know the devastation I felt when that publicity email landed in my inbox? I can't even tell you. We weren't even given a chance. We weren't even given a chance. Caleb and I would be so funny on that show. Have because you applied? He's just, is that what how you get on there? Well, I mean, we, at this level, it just all goes through agents and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I told my agent that I wanted to do it, and, like, I guess they just weren't interested in me. I mean, I know I'm, like, a D-grade celebrity, but so are a couple of the other people in the cast. Like, geez, I've got, like, I've got a little bit of a profile. Come on. I wanted to be on that so bad. It is, like, my absolute dream job. I can't believe it. Can't believe it. And Caleb and I are so fun because, like, we're so different. We're like this odd couple. Look at me trying to sell it. I'm like, come on, Dad. Like, <laughs> he's really like right wing and boring and weird. And I'm really like, Whoa, and he's like, hmm. And, you know, it would be like, I just described my boy- boyfriend as right wing and boring and weird. <laughs> mm. <laughs> what everyone else says about him. He'd be like, blah, blah, the petunias. And I'd be like, blah, the Polly Pocket. And we just would have been funny. I'm Devo. Absolutely Devo. Well, maybe I mean, they'll hear geez. that pitch and they'll they'll come and knock in for next year. Yeah, maybe they'll knock um, Zoe Foster Blake and Hamish Blake off the cast and put me and Caleb in. That's likely. <laughs> <laughs> That's Seems like unlikely. Mm. Um, okay, I want to talk about a lot of people sent me um, – uh, links to this on TikTok because I mentioned I'm on TikTok. Um, so you know how since Britney has, you know, been free of her conservatorship, she mm. posts these really long, she takes screenshots of her notes app where she's like posted mm. really long things. And particularly when Jamie Lynn's book was out, first came out, her sister's mm. book in which she was just awful to her. Like Jamie Lynn Spears is such a snake, a hater. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Brittany was like writing these long rants and everyone was like, ooh, like these rants seem a bit like uh, deranged. Like Brittany's, oh, is she losing it? Maybe she needed the conservatorship. I don't know. This is bad. But then there was this girl on TikTok who was like, look, I'm from Alabama. I'm from the South. Mm. And I'll, I'll do the accent. She's like, I'm from Alabama. I'm from the South. And I just want to tell you, all of you, all of y'all who are saying that Britney's Instagram is making her sound crazy, I want to tell y'all, this is how we talk. And she's like, so I'm going to read through one of her, one of her messages, and mm-hmm. I am going to read it the way we talk so you can see that she is just writing, writing the way we talk. That's mm-hmm. all she's doing. And so this girl on TikTok just reads through Britney's Instagram posts in a southern accent, mm-hmm. and you can see that it actually makes like makes a lot of sense. She's yeah. just writing it the way she talks. And this girl, I want to – so you can go look on TikTok. She's at Kimberly, 
K-A-M-B-E-R-L-Y Thomas, T-A-H-M-U-S. And it's amazing. Have you watched them? I have, yeah. They're it's so incredible. good. The impact it makes to have the right inflection, the right yes, emphasis, and the cadence, and the, right, the right rhythm. Mm. Yes. And it's like that she's not like deranged or hyper. That's just the way she she's writing the way she talks. Mm-hmm. So and they're amazing. she seems totally lucid when it's read out by someone who's got the right inflection and cadence. Yes, it seems totally lucid and reasonable. You're like, oh, to- absolutely. Like the way she does it's so good. So I really recommend everybody go and look at those TikToks. We'll put a link in the show notes because you read it and you're like, yeah, yeah, Brittany, that makes mm-hmm. sense when I hear a Southern person say it. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Have there been any updates on Brittany and Jamie Lynn in the last week or so? I haven't looked. I mean, not that I know of. The book was on the bestseller list. I I think it's kind of dropping off now because everyone bought it in the first hate week. Purchase. I think it was a lot of, yeah, hate purchasing and curiosity purchasing. It's kind of dropped off now. I mean, it's done irreparable damage to Jamie Lynn's reputation if she even had much of a reputation left. But mm. she, the entire book, she just has zero empathy for her sister's situation from the excerpts I've read and from the um, analyses I've read about it. And mm. she just went on this publicity tour where she did the um call call me daddy podcast and she and where she was reading out private text messages between the mm. two of them constantly saying I don't know why Britney's airing all this publicly I'm a really private person by the way here's an entire book about her and I'm going to go on <laughs> an internationally top rating podcast and read out her private messages why is she insisting on making this public <laughs> like come on oh, so bad yeah so what bad. a snake what a snake. Yeah. So everyone hates Jamie Lynn Spears, as they should. Yes, deservedly. What else you got for okay. me? Couple of th- uh, Another TV one. I don't know how this ended up <laughs> this way, but it just did. So Euphoria petrifies me. It's a show about kids that are way cooler than I've ever been in my life. That is a high school experience I do not recognise. Do you agree? Uh- I have not seen it. So this was on my list to ask you, (laughs) should I bother with it? Everyone's talking about it. I don't get it. And I don't really see the appeal. Okay. Alira loves it. Alira, my 19-year-old niece, loves it. Um, I have never watched it. I just feel like it's it's a lot of kids who like, you know, two 17-year-olds and they're just like, hey, you f***ing slut. Like, do you want to skip class and talk about anal? And and maybe then we'll, <laughs> we'll snort some heroin and do some nangs. Yeah, f*** you, bitch. Okay, see you in, <laughs> see you in English. Like, it's very... <laughs> I, I hope Lindsay beeped that. Um, it's, it's not... I was a nerd in high school, so I do not get it. But Alira loves it and I think feels like it's very true to her experience. Mm. But, so, yeah, no, I've never watched it. I'm petrified of it. But I kept reading... Um, Last week's episode, I think it was episode five, I just started seeing everywhere that Zendaya had given one of the most incredible on-screen performances of all time and people Mm. wouldn't stop going on about it. And I was like, well, I'll go and watch this one episode just to see whatever it is Zendaya did. And Mm. in this episode, um, this isn't really a spoiler because it's just part of the narrative of the show, she... um, has it's kind of like its own enclosed episode. So to be honest, you don't even really need to have watched the show to get what's going on in this mm-hmm. episode. She um, has been hiding the f- 
uh, from her mother the fact that she's been back on drugs. Mm. And in this episode, her mother confronts her saying, I know you're taking drugs again and you need to stop and go to rehab. And so Mm. it is basically an addict who is being confronted with the fact that they need to stop doing drugs. Mm -hmm. And then the entire episode is just about Zendaya trying to get away from the people who are trying to help her. Mm -hmm. It's basically like an intervention episode. And it is, I swear to God, everyone is right. It is one of the most brilliant pieces of acting I've ever seen in my life, in my Mm -hmm. life. I cannot believe Zendaya is only 25. Um, She's absolutely going to win the Emmy again for Best Actress. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand why she won the Emmy last year. I was like, really? For Euphoria? Like, Mm -hmm. because I hadn't seen it. But now I'm like, okay, if she was as good last year as she was in this one episode of television, like, I watched it twice. Wow. I was so affected by it. And you don't need to have watched the show to understand what's going on in it. It was... I, I I barely have words for how incredible she was. And so I really would highly recommend everybody go and watch this the latest season of Euphoria, episode five, the one where Zendaya's, confronted, Zendaya's character is confronted about her drug use. It's mm-hmm. out of this world, incredible, amazing. Hmm. I just, I, I, yeah, I have no words. I can't, you just have to watch it. I thought it was a it's, comedy. No, well, it's, it's, no, it's a drama that has fun, it, that is like succession. It's a drama, but there's okay. funny moments in it. Right, right. Um, no, it's a drama. It's all uh-huh. about like drug use and stuff. I don't know. I haven't seen the other, I haven't seen the rest. <laughs> I've only seen this one episode, but oh my God, like she does this thing. Because over the, she, her mom takes her drugs away at the start. So over the course of the episode, not only is she, running away from the people trying to help her, but she's also going into withdrawal. Mm. And the way she, like, does the physicality of what happens to you when you're going through withdrawal, I mean, I don't really, I've never been through withdrawal, so I don't know, but, like, she, at one point it looks like her eyes are going in different directions. Like, (laughs) she does this thing, like, where she's sort of, you know, high and then she's, and then the drugs are wearing off and, and, I, it was a tour de force. Mm-hmm. Just okay. amazing. You really well, must watch it. That's now made it to the top of my list. Thank you. Yeah, you really must watch it just, just for her performance alone. Um, and we've been going, <laughs> breaking news has been going on a bit with a lot of television stuff, but I know you're desperate to talk about this, so let's do it. <laughs> and just like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Do you know, and I haven't even thought about it for like a week now. I was so worked uh, up. In case you missed it, everybody, like and it's been a while, so you should know this by now. Big's now a ghost who's haunting Big's a lamp. Big's a ghost. Big's a ghost who's haunting a lamp and um, a woke moment. Che <laughs> uh, Diaz is a cultural <laughs> touchstone of of just it, the a comedian who tells no jokes. Why do they call a stand-up show a comedy concert? Who has ever in their lives called it a comedy concert? It just, and just like that, it just, it just wasn't that good, was it? I mean, it was, 
it was almost laughably bad in moments. And that's why I enjoyed it so much. Same. And I actually miss it. Yeah. I watched the I whole thing. More. I was Thursday nights. I was waiting for it to drop, man. As much as I like, but to make fun of it almost. Mm-hmm. I just can't even like. They just wrote storylines that went nowhere. I mean, why did we never see Miranda go to Cleveland? She yeah. was like, I'm going to Cleveland. And then they just never showed it again. <laughs> just so many random things. It, it was just the... Anyway, I... It's you a know. sloppy, sloppy mess. But everyone, can I it's please recommend to you what mess. I've been telling everyone they need to do? What? Listen to the And Just Like That Writer's Room podcast and listen to mm. the writers in particular, the very overbearing, domineering... Michael Patrick King, Michael Patrick the creator King. of the show, talking about their script writing process and the content that they've put out there into the world. They truly believe that they have surpassed Shakespeare in terms of creating <laughs> a timeless work that generations will discuss and pour over. When you hear them so sincerely go on and on about the different symbolism that they've used throughout the series and the hidden meanings, like they really think that they have created gold with this TV show. They are so unaware that we're all laughing at Oh, no. Oh, no. But that's the thing. You can't go into something like that thinking we are creating what is going to be culturally historic. Mm. Like, you need to just go in and say we want to tell a good story. Not like, because mm. they did that, they had that uh, documentary that, dropped on the same day as the last episode. And I haven't listened to the podcast, but Michael Patrick King does talk like that a lot in that documentary, Mm. just about how, like, what they're doing is, like, on par with, like, curing world hunger. Mm -hmm. Like, they really were taking this seriously. And then maybe that's why what ended up on screen missed the mark so much. Yeah. Because you can tell they were trying to be really sincere, but it's really, um, it's funny where it's not meant to be funny and it's sad where it's meant to be funny. Mm-hmm. Like it's, they've, it's just all wrong. It's a, yeah. it's a Frankenstein's monster of, of nonsense. Go and have a listen. Even if you just listen to like episode eight or nine or 10, if you've watched the series, hear the way they speak about it, how they try to present it as this incredibly profound thing. And you can laugh at them. It doesn't feel like punching down. It feels very much like punching up to sort of have a bit of a giggle at the way they talk about their work. It is is punching up. These are multi-millionaire TV creators who are taking themselves way too seriously. So it Mm -hmm. is punching up. Yeah, totally. I like to laugh Mm. at them. All right, here's the final thing. You know I like to often end on these little factoids that um, send us into waves of depression and existentialism. Mm. We are now closer to the year 2050 (laughs) than we are to the year 1990. I nearly sent this to you this morning. It hurt me. (laughs) It hurts, doesn't it? That that one hits hard. That one Mm. hits hard. Mm-hmm. Can you, I, uh, <laughs> and you know what else this morning on ASOS? ASOS, because it's hard to find really good plus size clothes in Australia. So I get a lot of stuff from ASOS Curve, which has an amazing plus size range. And today, right in front of me, like, like ASOS is where I shop. Thank you. It's my, my special place. Mm. They were selling jumpers that said like 2000s baby. 
Like I am shopping in the same place where kids born in like the 20s, 20s and 2010s. Like I don't no 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 no. No, this this is sell 80s baby jumpers. 80s baby. ASOS is for 80s babies, isn't it? Isn't it? What is happening? What is happening? Uh, I heard as well they're doing a spin-off of that 70s show called That 90s That 90s show. show? Mm. No, they already tried that, didn't they? They did that 80s show and it failed. Oh, they did that 80s show and now they're doing that 90s Mm. show. Oh, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, Alira was born in 2002 and she turns 20 this year. So, I mean, what is happening? 2002 was like a week ago. Right? I just, I can't. I can't. So, yeah, Mm. we're all just slowly and steadily walking towards death. And that was breaking news. <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> sunrise, sunset. Sunrise, sunset. Um, okay, it's your week. So I get to relax and drink wine. Huzzah! Yes. And it's a love story for Valentine's. A love this, for Valentine's. It's a very unlikely love story, though. Um, this is the story of the time that Kim Jong-il, who was quite notorious for being the tyrannical dictator of North Korea and one of history's biggest monsters, he kidnapped the most famous actress and the most famous movie director from South Korea, brought them to North Korea and forced them to make movies for him. I love it. <laughs> Have you heard of this it. one? Um, I vaguely remember hearing something about the fact that he had a movie star making propaganda films for him, but I did Mm -hmm. not know that she had been kidnapped and I already so much better understand the storyline in 30 Rock about Avery Jessup getting kidnapped by Kim Jong-il to be in their newsreader. Yes. It was Ah. quite a common occurrence over there and still does happen to this day, people being kidnapped to serve the North Korean regime. Um, Terrible, terrible. Not funny, not comedy. Awful, yeah. Awful, Um, awful, awful. It's a very dark story, but there is so much silliness along the way. Mm. Um, Before I get into the story of the main characters are Che Eun-hee and Shin Sang-ok, I just need to give Mm -hmm. a quick little bit of context about North Korea for anyone who's not aware. Um, I will say, um, saying that this is a very dark story, but um, there's just so much silliness along the way is such a good way of describing North Korea. It's the most absurd, bizarre place, which I'm sure you will explain now. (laughs) It's probably the only place in the world that something like this could happen. Yeah. Um, So North Korea, faux communist totalitarian regime. It's been around since 1948. And ever since then, it's been run by men who essentially turned the whole country into a very extremist cult that serves what's become the Kim dynasty. So from the end of World War II up until the 1990s, the official head of state was Kim Il-sung. He'd been given the top job by the Soviets at the end of the war, and he went on to become the supreme leader. He had absolute power over the entire country and was literally worshipped like a god and still is today. When he died, they gave him the title of eternal leader. So they still consider him to be running the country. And people in the country do truly, because from birth, they're Mm. told that he is a god. Like 
There is footage um, I know from when Kim Jong-il died, who I'm assuming is his son. Yes. Yes. Um, the newsreader weeping, weeping mm. as she's telling the news that he has died. Like people, the people, true, a lot of them truly do worship these leaders mm. like they are gods. They truly believe it. Yeah, and they believe yeah. it so deeply that when Kim Il-sung died in 1994, there were mass suicides because people just couldn't imagine living Stop in a world it. where they no longer had their leader showing them the way, providing for them, protecting them. They were mm. completely brainwashed, like you said, from a very young age. He was officially the leader, but by the time the 1970s rolled around, he was officially, sort of unofficially rather, retired and Kim Jong-il, his son, was the one that was really mm. pulling the strings and running the country. Um, it was clear to everyone that he was going to take over from his father one day, so he became the dear leader. And the easiest way to think about it, if you're comparing it to a religion like Christianity, Kim Il-sung was God, Kim Jong-il was Jesus. Jesus. And there mm. were, and still are, statues of them everywhere around the country. Every home has pictures of them in it. Anytime mm. you leave the house, you have to have a pin on your lapel with Kim Il-sung's face on it. Mm. It's a crime to leave the house without that. Um, and Kim Jong-il is the one that sort of created that cult, really. To um, He was the one that got all the statues put up and the pictures mm. put into people's homes. He was a totally narcissistic psychopath, sociopath, whatever, had no military or political experience. He just sort of started off his career as the head of media and propaganda for the country. And in the 1970s, like he decided... Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And he could see that the most important thing to do was figure out a way mm. to brainwash everyone in the country into being completely loyal to them. And, and they will... I mean, I'm, I'm sure you'll get to this, but part of the reason why they really need to brainwash people is the country is effed. Like 90% of people don't have enough food. People people die of starvation in North Korea. Like mm -hmm. they're not, it's not like, oh, the payoff for having this supreme leader is that we're all incredibly well looked after. Like, no, this country has most of its citizens living in abject poverty, barely enough to eat, barely scraping mm. by. So they need to make sure the people are brainwashed so that they don't, uh, you know, rise up and revolt mm -hmm. against their crappy leaders. That's right, exactly. Mm. Things weren't actually really that bad in North Korea until Kim Jong-il sort of took over mm. behind the scenes running the country. He was totally inept and very, very corrupt and he was only focused on how they could maintain power and maintain a luxury lifestyle. And part of his strategy obviously involved internal propaganda and film was a really big, important wing mm. of that propaganda. Uh, he made it a priority to make sweeping changes to the North Korean film industry in the 1970s, partly because he himself was a massive film buff. He owned around 30,000 films that he'd collected from all around the world. He was the only one in the country allowed to watch them, by the way. If anyone yeah, else was caught course. with content from yeah. another country, they'd be sent to prison. His favourite movies were the Bond series, James Bond, mm. Friday the 13th and Rambo. And by comparison, when he looked at mm. the content that was being created in his own country, he was really, really disappointed and embarrassed. We're not making Friday the 13th. What? <laughs> That's Friday the level the he aspired to get to. It's 
great franchise, as is Rambo. Mm. I'm not really a Bond person, but I will vouch for Friday the 13th. That is a great franchise. Agreed. Um, He also saw that there was a lot of potential to make hundreds of millions of dollars for North Korea if he could establish an industry to rival Hollywood, which would be a massive boost to his economy, which was already failing because of his mismanagement. In order to do that, he'd have to get international distribution and that just wasn't going to happen if something drastic didn't change. So Mm. he figured the most efficient, effective way to make these changes he wanted to see and to improve the quality of his country's output was bring talent in from elsewhere, whether or not that talent was actually willing to come to North Korea. (laughs) And he's the one that started off kidnapping as kind of a common practice. I mean, like I said, he had no military experience, no espionage experience. He just Mm. really loved James Bond movies. And that seems to be where a lot of his inspiration (laughs) came from for schemes like this. I nearly spat out my wine. (laughs) (laughs) He just really liked James Bond movies. So he was like, I could be a spy. (laughs) I could do the Adele interview. (laughs) I can come up with plans and execute them flawlessly. Oh my God. Yep. So... He made kidnapping a fairly common practice. Mm. Thousands of people over the last few decades have been kidnapped and taken to North Korea for various reasons. Sometimes it could be as simple as just plucking a random Japanese woman off a beach, taking them back to North Korea and forcing her to become a wife for a senior member of the regime. Most commonly they would take people from European countries, Asian countries, Middle Eastern countries. Oh, that was my question. I was going to ask, are they mainly kidnapping from South Korea? No, they're kidnapping from everywhere. All around the world, they needed those people to come on board as like language and culture teachers for the North Korean spies that were going to be deployed. I could walk out onto Clarendon Street right now in South Melbourne and be kidnapped by the North Koreans. God forbid. Yes. But yes. It's happening a lot less now, but the peak was in the late 70s, early 80s that people were disappearing quite frequently. Yeah. That's petrifying. Yeah. I mean, one of the simplest things they would do is they'd get people to board a plane thinking they were going to China and then they'd just reroute the plane to North mm. Korea and say, you're mm. you're one of us now. And the other thing they would do in a more strategic way is they'd kidnap high-profile writers or musicians or journalists and as a propaganda stunt, they'd get them to announce, you know, with a gun to their head just off screen, they'd make them announce that they had chosen to defect to North Defected, Korea because yeah. they thought it was superior to every other country. And then I mean, once have, those people I had served have... their purpose, they'd be sent to prison. Oh, my God. I have to say, every time you say the word kidnap in relation with North Korea, I just think of um, Kidnapped by Danger, the song that um, Jenna Maroney sings when she's playing Avery Jessup in the movie <laughs> Kidnapped by Danger. <laughs> <laughs> in 30 round, I've been kidnapped by the North Koreans. <laughs> ah, my broken brain. We can only relate any, everything to television. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring it back to that storyline. Um, okay, so kidnapping happened quite commonly in this particular mm. instance. Kim Jong-il decided he was going to get the best movie director in South Korea to improve his own industry. And this director's mm. name, Shin Sang-ok. For the purpose of this story, I'll just refer to him as Shin from now on. He was yeah. one of Kim Jong-il's all-time favorite directors and he was the perfect choice because he'd essentially built and then continued to run the South Korean film industry 
for decades and he'd made heaps of internationally acclaimed movies that had won a bunch of awards and also he'd been born in a town that was now part of North Korea. So it seemed like the Ah. perfect propaganda move to get him to come on board. And if Kim was going to get Shin to be the director, it made sense to also bring Shin's counterpart, Che Eun-hee, and I'll call her Che from this point onwards and try not to think of Che Diaz. Of Che Diaz? (laughs) (laughs) Second you said that, I was like, oh, God. It's Che Diaz. Push that out. Push it down. (laughs) Push that out of your brain. Okay, yep. So Shin and Che had been the golden couple of Asian cinema all throughout the 50s and the 60s and the early 70s. They were married and they were business partners Mm. and they were very, very glamorous. She was the best and most famous, most beautiful actress in all the biggest films. She's frequently compared to Elizabeth Taylor or Meryl Streep. And he ran the biggest studio in South Korea and he directed and produced all the biggest movies that starred her. However, by the time this story starts, things had pretty much gone to shit for both of them, mostly because of Shin's arrogance. He disgraced himself personally and professionally. He was making some very, very bad movies. He was breaking mm. a lot of censorship laws along the way and getting into serious trouble for that. And he got like with caught what doing sex some... scenes and stuff. Exactly. Yep. Extended yeah, okay. kisses. Yeah. A right. hint of nipple. Those sorts of things. Sure. And yeah. Yeah. Um, also got caught doing a bunch of really dodgy, silly stuff, including one of my favourite things. He would get the distribution rights for a movie from overseas, like, say, China, and then yeah. he'd shoot and film a couple of additional short scenes to splice into the movie, and then yeah. he'd put an entirely new credit role at the end of the film that gave him credit for writing, directing, <gasps> producing the entire no. thing and put it out as his own movie. And, of course, Dodgy. he got caught doing that and got, are fine, but then they still yeah. allow the movie to be released, which is bizarre. Mm. And that happened more than once. He kept doing that mm. because he was so desperate to hopefully get away with it. Anyway, it reached a point where the South Korean government shut down his studio completely and they banned him from ever making another film in South Korea. So he went yeah. bankrupt. And meanwhile, he and Che also had a very public divorce because the world found out oh. he'd been having an affair for several years with a younger actress and had had two kids with her. <gasps> so, oh, no, Shin. Uh-oh. Scandal. So the golden days well and truly gone for the two of them, but Kim Jong-il still thought they'd be the perfect couple to reinvigorate the North Korean film Mm. industry because they'd have the chance to rehabilitate their own careers at the same time. It's kind of like it's kind of like today, even though they're divorced and everybody knows they're no longer together, it's kind of like if North Korea kidnapped Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie and was like, Mm. we're bringing you over here to make movies doesn't matter that you're divorced. You are the epitome of Hollywood, golden couple, film star, romance, fantasy. We want you guys. So that's what he was kind of doing with this, with these exactly. two. Plus in yeah. his head, if he told them to get back together, they would. They and then would. he'd be responsible yeah. for this incredible <laughs> Of course. Okay, yeah. I get you, I get you. Obviously, being Kim Jong-il, he didn't approach them and give them a job offer or an invitation. Instead, he had them abducted, starting off with (laughs) Che. So, out of the blue, Che, who was a bit down in the dumps, was invited to Hong Kong to meet with some folks who wanted her to help them set up a brand new film studio there and also direct Mm -hmm. their first film. 
an unexpected lifeline for her. She was obviously mm. thrilled. She was at a very low point. She called Shin. Yeah, how old who is in, she? She's in her 50s by now. Yeah, so she's an actress who is, in terms of Hollywood standards, past her prime. Yes, precisely. Yeah, so she needs she needs some opportunities, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd gone bankrupt with Shin, so all the yeah, bad decisions course. he made impacted her Affected really badly. Affected her also. Yeah. And pl- also she's a woman over 30, so she has no value to be on screen, which is yes. effed, so yeah. And she was facing the disgrace in South Korea of having been divorced twice. So ah, she was that's, very, that's very hard. tarnished. So an opportunity yeah. like this, incredible for her. She called up Shin, really happy and excited about it. He was in LA at the time trying to find work for himself. And he was just like, that's really weird that they would want you when obviously they know that I'm available. Something about this sounds I'll really get dodgy. Shin. And that's what she said. How could they possibly you, want going. a woman? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so off she right, went. Because she, she got abducted. Yeah. That's where this is going, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So off she went. Off she went. Um, she met with investors over the course of a few days and then on her final day there, her chaperone took her to a place called Repulse Bay and told her they'd be catching <laughs> a ferry to one of the investors' villas. But instead of a ferry, the chaperone took her over to a speedboat that was full of these burly men wearing these really bad long wigs and terrible mm. fake moustaches. <laughs> and she was like, uh, I just remembered I have to be somewhere and tried to walk away. And the men just rushed her, grabbed her, dragged her into the boat and sped off. <gasps> Obviously, I, she stuck. <laughs> I just can't help but thinking that, like, the long hair and the terrible moustaches is absolutely something he saw in a James Bond yes. film. Like, he was like, that's what spies do. Let's do that. Oh, it's also. Pinky, but oh, okay. totally. And so they, like he probably directed them once they yes, got away right? from the shoreline. They ripped off their wigs and their moustaches. Oh, like, ha ha, we are the villains mm. here to get. Oh god, yeah, okay. Che, obviously, like any of us, completely freaking out. And the chaperone mm. just sort of casually lit a cigarette and was like, "Everything's fine. Don't panic." And then one of the men addressed Che by name, and she was like, "How do you know who I am?" And he responded by mm. saying. He was Korean, but the way he said it meant she could tell that he meant he was North Korean. So she really started to panic then. She asked where they were taking her and he said, we're taking you to the bosom of the great leader, Comrade Kim Il-sung. And she started screaming and thrashing around and trying to jump off the boat. The men were restraining her and then she either fainted or she was injected with the first of many sedatives. When she woke up, she was in a cabin on a big ocean freighter looking up at a portrait of Kim Il-sung and Mm. was absolutely terrified. Her first assumption was that she was being taken as a sex slave, which was something she experienced during World War II. And she was on that boat for about a week, terrified and totally despondent, figured she was never going to get to see Mm. her kids or family ever again. At one point, she tried to do a rose in Titanic and jump overboard to kill herself, but Mm. the guards managed to stop her at the very last second. Finally, they arrived at a dock in North Korea and when she disembarked, a very short man with very big hair and a beaming smile walked up to her, stuck out his hand in a very friendly way and said, Madam Che, thank you so much for coming all this way. You must be absolutely exhausted. I'm Kim Jong-il. And she Mm. didn't know what to do, so she just shook his hand politely back. And what else would you do? 
Exactly. She like, had no other They're your other captors. Mm hmm. Play you along. Can't exactly. Misbehave. You've got to play along. Yeah. She was very cooperative from the very beginning. They took her to the house where she was going to be living from now on, which was very, very opulent. Lots of velvet mm. and chandeliers full of all her favorite cosmetics. They knew exactly what products she used and they had a wardrobe full of beautiful clothes in exactly her size as well. Oh, that's creepy. They'd been scoping her for a while. She met the minders who were going to be keeping an eye on her and also Mm. managing her re-education about North Korea and the Kims. But at no point did anyone tell her why she was there, no matter how many times she asked. And then after a few days to recover, she was summoned to meet with Kim Jong-il. She was very, very nervous, but right from the beginning, he was really charming towards her and he broke the ice when she arrived by making a joke about how short he was, saying, hey, look at me, don't I look like a midget's turd? Ha ha ha. What? 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 Wait, wait, what? (laughs) I know. It was very... Off putting. I'm tiny, basically. He's just making fun of the fact that he was such a short little man. Okay. I know. Sure. She was expecting something really sort of (laughs) formal and intense. And the fact that he sort of chose to break the ice in that really ridiculous way caught her off guard. And from that point on, she just never really knew what to expect from this guy. Eventually, he asked her if there was anything she wanted. And she was like, well, yes, I'd like very much to go home to my family please. Mm. And he pretended to consider it and then said that was just a problem he couldn't solve until she fulfilled her purpose there in North Korea. Never told her what that purpose was. She was just expected to adapt to this new lifestyle, go to parties at Kim's palaces when he invited her. He'd take her to the opera every now and then. They'd frequently watch movies together. Hey, look, I just want to chime in here and say, at this stage, it's not sounding that bad. She's being I mean, pampered. You get a closet full of expensive, fancy clothes. You get all the fancy, like, skin and makeup stuff that you want. You wake up in the morning, they tell you where to go and what to do, and your whole life is just about going to parties and letting them let you be fancy. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm just saying, devil's advocate, <laughs> at this stage, I'm like, mm, maybe I could, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe. Why not? The closest thing to torture that she was experiencing at this time were the indoctrination sessions she had to do for hours and hours every day. Yes, which I've heard they still do that to this day and they're horrific. Yeah. Forced to memorise the totally fictional biographies of Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il and read all these communist manifestos. And that was all very annoying, but yes... She was very respectful and very compliant and she played along hoping that she'd survive Mm. and one day she'd be able to get back to her family. Meanwhile, the Hong Kong police and the South Korean police had obviously been investigating her sudden disappearance and it was this total mystery. No one had any idea where she'd vanished to. They found all her stuff in her hotel room and the theories were she's been killed or she's taken her Mm. own life or maybe she's faked her own death so she can start a new life somewhere. Most people, especially the cops, suspected that Shin Sung-ok had done something dodgy. As the ex-husband, there'd been a lot of um, aggression during the Mm. divorce. So he was suspected. And therefore, he chose to be very vocal in the media, saying that he believed that Che had been taken by the North Koreans. And he was asking the police to protect him because he thought, if she's a target, then I'm probably a target as well. At the same time, 
<laughs> yeah. Um, he was trying to clear his name so that he could get work somewhere in the world, mm. still banned from working in North Korea. Che had been missing for six months when Shin went mm. back to Hong Kong to continue to try to clear his name. And he was also looking for investors because you know what he wanted to make? And I'm disappointed he never got the chance to. He wanted to make what? a live action version of Disney's Sleeping Beauty. <gasps> that would have been amazing. Uh-huh. Yes. It's not too late. Someone could still do that. It's probably I think they probably the will. I mean, mm. at the moment, they're trying to do a live-action version of Snow White, but then Peter Dinklage was like, do you know how offensive it is to have mm. seven dwarves? And now that might kibosh the whole film. They're saying that they're just not going to do it. Right. Anyway. Huh, but Sleeping Beauty is also problematic because it's about a guy kissing a woman without her consent while she's yeah. sleeping, and that's problematic. <laughs> so, oh, Disney, a lot of problems there. But, yes, I would very much have liked to have seen that. Mm. So that's what took him to Hong Kong. And while he was there, one day he was in a car with one of his friends who it ends up that he was working for North Korea. The car was stopped by a group of burly men wearing long mm. wigs and fake moustaches standing in the middle of the road. And the men rushed the car, yanked open the door, pulled Shin out, put a knife to his throat. He thought he was being mugged. So he tried to throw his wallet mm. at them and say, take my money. Um, yeah. But one of the men got a nylon bag and pulled it over his head and then pulled it all the way down to his ankles, pushed Shin to the ground, <gasps> wrapped his ankles up with rope. He was panicking because he was running That's out like of That's like a body air. bag. Right. Mm -hmm. That is, he's literally in a bag that covers his whole body and is tied at the ankles. That's a body bag. Mm -hmm. It's petrifying. He thought they were just going to kill him and throw him in the ocean. But then yeah. just as he felt like he was about to suffocate, a knife gashed a hole in the bag right in front of his <sighs> face and someone sprayed this awful tasting fluid into his mouth, which ended up being something like chloroform or something because he Knocked then out. passed out woke yeah. up and he was on the same boat that Che had been on six months earlier, headed mm. to North Korea. When he arrived, he wasn't greeted by Kim Jong-il. He was just taken straight to his new house in Pyongyang, which was a lot more humble than Che's sort of flashy Vegas-style mansion. Mm. But it was comfortable. And again, it was filled with clothes in his size and the exact cosmetics products that he liked to use. Weird. Straight away, his mind is got to work trying to indoctrinate him. He had to watch two mm. or three North Korean or Soviet movies every single day and write reports on each movie's message and structure and what was good and what could be improved. And also, just like Che, he was given daily lessons to help brainwash him about the history of Korea and the Kims. Mm. What made him different from Che is he was thinking about how to escape from the moment he got there. He was determined that he wasn't just going to go down without a fight and comply. He frequently asked about Che and every time he did, he was told they didn't know anything about her. So Shin and Che had no idea at this point they were just a few kilometres away <gasps> from each that other. The other was there, yeah, wow. And they had no way of knowing that they would have been reunited very soon if they'd just played along which mm. did not happen because after a couple of months, Shin saw his opportunity to run away and he took it. One night, he stole his chauffeur's Mercedes, drove as far north as he could towards mm. China, figuring his captors, when they realised he'd gone, would assume he'd gone south towards Seoul. South Korea, came, yeah. Mm, came to some train tracks, ditched the car, waited for a train to come past, jumped onto a freight carriage and fell asleep. And when he Don't woke up, fall asleep, mm -hmm. dummy. 
Oh my God! Don't fall asleep while you're on the escape getaway. Oh God! Yes. Yeah, when so, he woke yeah. up, the train was about ten minutes away from the Chinese border, oh, and he was no. surrounded by guards pointing guns at him, who were Idiot. like, "Are you the guy who ditched the stolen Mercedes back there?" And he was dragged back to Pyongyang told he'd committed a terrible crime and was probably mm. going to be executed if he didn't beg for forgiveness. And he was like, what crime? I'm just trying to get home. I can't yeah. live here. I don't want to be here. Let me go. So they sent him off to an enlightenment camp, which is basically uh, which is, prison camp. It's light. basically a concentration camp. Yeah. Exactly. Bad. Yeah. Not as bad as the worst prison camps. And if you know anything about these places, it's where some of the worst human mm. rights violations happen. But the Enlightenment camps are still pretty bad. Mental and physical torture, beatings, starvation, sleep deprivation, and, of course, the main aim is brainwashing. He was there for six months, and after that point, he'd convinced his minders convincingly enough that he was now willing to pledge allegiance to the Kims. So they took him back to Pyongyang to his house and got him back into his re-education program. Mm. Back to watching the movies and critiquing them and getting ready to make his own films, even though he didn't know it at the time. Still looking for possible escape routes. A year or so later, he decided to try again. This is 1980 now, but this time he didn't run away. He just made it look like he did. One night, he hid inside a secret panel in a wall he'd uh, found inside one of his rooms mm. and he assumed if he disappeared behind that panel, the guards would all assume that he'd run away and they'd all mm. scatter to go look for him when they found his empty bed. Um, and then when they were gone, he'd be able to just saunter off mm. north to the Chinese border. But when they realised he was missing, the guards set up the base camp for the search in that very room oh, where no. he was hiding. <laughs> So, oh, no. All day, every day, he could hear everything that they were saying about him and there was always someone in the room. So it was going to be impossible for him to get out of this predicament. But he yeah. decided to stick with the plan for a few days. He had a stash of food in there. He was holding on oh, to hope that maybe they would all disperse. But while he was still waiting, a cleaner spotted him through a little crack <gasps> in the oh, panel no. and dobbed him in. So this time... He was sent to proper prison, a place called Prison Number no. 6, which is one of the worst places in the world. And he was there for almost three years. He was Jesus. starved. He was beaten. Every single day he had to spend 16 hours sitting in what's called the torture position, which is almost like a meditation pose, sitting cross legs mm. with your hands on your knees. You have to stare dead ahead. You're not allowed to move at all, any movement, and you will be beaten by the guards. And that includes mm. even moving to swat away one of the fleas or the cockroaches or the rats that are biting you. <sighs> really intense form of mental and physical torture. And it was hell for him, but it was obvious to him that the guards had been ordered to keep him alive. A lot yeah. of people don't survive very long in places like this. Can I ask, um, is uh, Che while he's going through all of this, which has now become turned from months into three years, mm -hmm. is she just like going with the status quo and playing the game and living in her mansion? Which yep. I, which to, honestly is the smarter move, mm -hmm. in my opinion. So she's just over there doing she's that. She's being well taken care of. Yep. They moved yeah, her around because to she's not an idiot. a couple of times. Yep. She, I'm sorry. It's like people say, oh, it's more noble to try and escape. It's like, no, it's smarter 
to play the game that you know you're in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you agree. It just means you're playing the game mm-hmm. so that you don't get sent to a prison camp where you have to sit in the torture position for six hours. Yeah. So this is the le- the lesson that Shin learned the hard way. Yeah. He was going to have yes. to play along. Every six months they would bring a team in that would interrogate him and force him to write long letters begging forgiveness to Kim Jong-il and Kim yeah. Il-sung. Every time they would go through that process, he'd hope that he'd demonstrated that he'd crossed the line and decided yeah. to be loyal to North Korea, um, but that he'd be sent back to his cell. Um, but his conditions would gradually improve. They'd start giving him a bit more food and extra blankets and whatnot. And then finally they decided, okay, we believe you're on board with Kim Jong-il now. And he was taken back to Pyongyang and told to wait for instructions. And at this point they'd been there for five years. Mm. And it felt oh, like torture for Che that ew. she had so little to do. She'd worked her entire life, so not having yeah. any sort of purpose was really difficult for her. She was just going on walks and gardening and going to parties with Kim Jong-il. And mm. she'd actually become quite friendly with him over the years, a little bit Stockholm syndrome S. Of course, yeah. He was the only person she interacted with who had any sort of sense of humour. Apparently he was quite funny and no one yeah. else in the country made jokes but he because could no one else is allowed to right <laughs> like, yes he's he's, he's literally the only person in the country who's allowed to make jokes so of mm. course he's the only one yeah then in 1983 she was summoned to a party at one of kim's palaces one night and it was the usual sort of event she was very used to going to with all the same people mm. But when she got there, she noticed there was this sort of heightened energy in the room. And at one point, everyone in the room burst into applause, seemingly spontaneously. And she kind of glanced around to see what was going on, but didn't expect anything special. She was used to the North Koreans getting very overexcited about Mm. any little thing that one of the Kims did. And then someone nudged her and said, hey, look over there and pointed to the door where there was a gaunt looking man standing in the doorframe who everyone was clapping for. And she didn't mm. recognise him at first. Because he was so after, skinny. Yeah. After a few seconds, she saw past the dramatic weight loss and the scars that were all over his face <gasps> and realised oh it was God. her ex-husband, Shin. And <gasps> they just stared at each other, frozen in total shock. And then, oh. of course, Kim Jong-il materialised between the two of them, beaming with pride and screamed out, don't just yes. stand there, hug each other. Yes, and so I've they... brought you together, yes. Brad and Angelina. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. So oh my everyone God. in the party knew this was coming. <gasps> they were all anticipating it all night. And, of course, they burst into massive applause mm. when they embraced each other and there were all these cameras flashing and the mm. shock that, Shin and Che were going through at that moment. Are there was photos really of this? Intense. Yes. <gasps> oh, mm. oh, oh. I need to look and right now. There's a documentary. I'll tell you about it. Hold on. I need to look at the photos right now. What should I Google? Mm. Um, Shin and Che. Che is spelled Choi. C H O I. Shin and Choi North Korea reunion. Yes. That will bring it up. And maybe chucking Kim Jong Il if you want to. Oh, my God. They're just standing. So Kim Jong-il is standing in between them. Mm-hmm. And it just looks like the most, we are both standing here. 
pretending that we are happy, but mm-hmm. there is this man here, but we thought it, it looks like, remember when Johnny Depp and Amber Heard did that video apologizing for bringing their dogs yeah. into the country yeah. and everyone was like, oh, it looks like a hostage video. These photos of, of um, Shin and Che look like they are in a hostage situation. Like it looks mm-hmm. like they are petrified but smiling for the cameras like they don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's it's exactly giving me what the they were going shivers. through. Ooh, yeah. it's giving me the shivers. Okay. Okay, yeah. And then once the applause died down, Kim announced to the party that Shin Sang-ok had agreed to be the country's new head film advisor and that he was going to be remarrying his ex-wife, the mother of uh, Korea... She and he. Neither of them knew <laughs> about it until this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. They didn't even oh, know they were wow. in the same country. Yeah. Kim Jong-il was visibly just giddy with excitement about this stunt mm. he'd managed to pull off. It was yeah. so cinematic. And that was when Che realized this was all happening on her wedding anniversary to <gasps> Shin. Oh, That's the level what? of detail what? he'd gone to orchestrating oh my God. this. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, if he knows the size of your clothes and what face creams you have, of course mm-hmm. he knows your wedding date. Oh, that's so weird and creepy. Isn't it just? Oh, wowzers. And oh. from there, the party escalated, went on until the early morning until Kim finally realised how tired Shin looked. And so he made a few jokes about the newlyweds going home to mm. celebrate their reunion in their bridal suite, eyebrows, eyebrows. Oh and <laughs> they sent them off to Che's tacky mansion. And when yeah. they got there, they walked straight to the bathroom, turned on all the taps before they started speaking. They knew yeah. the place was going to be bugged for sure. Yeah. And Shin at first was pretty apprehensive because he'd been watching Che joking and chatting with all the people yeah. at the party all night. Yeah, so he's like, you're one of them now. Yeah, he's like, you're pretty chummy with those folks, especially yeah. Kim. You're not a little bit brainwashed, are you? And she No, I'm just, sorry. She's just smarter than you and she's playing the game, you idiot. She also happened to be one of the finest actors in the world mm. at the time, which she reminded him of and sort of said, I thought you were a movie director, but you can't even recognise good acting. Mm-hmm. Um, They really didn't know where to begin to explain what had happened over the past five years. But Che asked Shin first off whether or not he still loved her and he smiled and they kissed. And from that point on, they were back together as a couple. They were back together. So, I mean, look, for all his faults, you know, genocide, human rights abuses, (laughs) the rest, Kim Jong-il did get. Two movie stars back together and in love. Oh, call him Cupid Jong-il. Cupid (laughs) (laughs) Jong-il. No, but I will say, like, everybody in them, unless you have an ex who is an absolute nightmare, like I have exes who I have definite soft spots for, and if the two of you were kidnapped and you ended up in a place where you only had each other, I'm Mm. sorry, but you would end up back together. Because you only have each other in a foreign place where people are, you are at risk of torture and you have once loved each other. So you're like, well, here we are. Let's do this. Of course you would. Absolutely. So it was a massive relief for both of them to be reunited, but they thought now we're back together, surely we'll be getting 
to work straight away. He's going to explain what he wants from us. But they barely saw Kim over the next few months. And when they did see him, it was only ever at parties. The only work they were doing was watching a minimum of four of Kim's favorite movies every day (laughs) and writing up critiques and going to do some sightseeing around the country so they could get to know North Korea a bit better. And whenever they were alone, they'd talk about their plans to escape. Che was totally on board with escaping now that she had Chin to do it with her. Um, They agreed they only had one shot, so they had to wait for the perfect time. Otherwise, they'd be killed for sure. And part of that conversation was also they knew they had a really big problem. If they did escape, no one was ever going to believe their story if they weren't Mm. able to get some sort of proof that they had been kidnapped that would stop people from assuming that they're defected to North Korea willingly. Ideally, they'd be able to secretly record Kim in conversation talking about abducting them, but getting a tape recorder seemed completely impossible. But then as luck would have it, on one of their touristy sightseeing trips, their minders took them to what's called the foreigner's shop just outside Pyongyang, where North Koreans are not allowed to go in there at all, but any foreign visitors can go in and buy stuff with foreign currency. And Che and Shin were told, you can go in there and pick out whatever you want. You've been so good, we want to give you a little treat. And they browsed around and Shin found a voice recorder, like a little dictaphone Mm. thing. Mm. And he told his minder he wanted that and a radio, thinking he'd be told absolutely not under no circumstances. But the minder didn't recognize what the dictaphone was. So he was just like, okay, bag it up, let's go. So they Mm. had their voice recorder. They were ready whenever Kim was. And a few weeks later, he finally summoned them for their first official meeting. Mm. They knew if they got caught recording this conversation, they were absolutely going to be executed, but agreed it was worth the risk. So Che hid the dictaphone in her little purse. And when they arrived in Kim's office, she just sat with it on her lap and discreetly hit the record button. Mm. And she pretty much just launched in with a, uh, so remind us, why did you kidnap us again? (laughs) And Kim launched into what ended up being a two and a half hour stream of consciousness style rant, barely pausing for breath along the way, talking about how he knew he needed Shin and Che and he told his people to bring them in, even if it required a bit of a covert operation, Mm. but that he was horrified at the methods his people had used, absolutely appalled that Shin and Che had been treated like prisoners, said it was all a big misunderstanding, went on to say, I know you would have come willingly, look how much you adore me, don't worry, the people responsible have been thoroughly punished. Now let's just let bygones be bygones because what we need to do is overhaul the North Korean film industry because, frankly, only I can say this and I can only say it to the two of you, don't ever repeat this, it is the worst film industry in the world. All our filmmakers Mm. are crap and we need experts like you to show them how it's done so we can start making some of the best films in the world. Now, the recorder in Che's bag only caught the first 45 minutes of the rant before it ran Mm. out of tape, but that was Mm. more than enough proof to show that they'd been taken against their will. Kim then went on to promise that they could start up a completely new studio, which of course Shin wanted to call Shin Studios, like his old one in South Korea. Shin would be president, Che would be vice president. They'd get a starting budget of $2 million per year, but they could have more money if they needed it. They could hire whoever they wanted, buy whatever equipment they needed and have total creative control with the only caveat being that Kim got final script approval. So this was Mm -hmm. all of Shin's 
creative wet dreams come true. And he left the meeting ecstatic to get back to making movies, which he loved more than anything (laughs) in the world. Yes. And also being excited they'd managed to get Kim confessing on tape. Mm. So after almost six years in North Korea, they finally got to work on making their first film. Six years before they even started doing what they'd been kidnapped for. Mm -hmm. Kim was playing the long game. And what year is it at this point? This is 84. Wowzers. Mm. Um, They decided to start off taking a pretty safe route for their first movie. They told Kim they wanted to make a movie version of a very patriotic play that Kim Il-sung had supposedly written about some Korean heroes. Kim thought this was perfect, especially because they could film part of the movie for the first time ever in North Korean history outside of North Korea on location in Europe, which he considered Mm. to be proof to the world that Che and Shin were not prisoners, that they were able to travel freely and work wherever they wanted. The message that was important for him to get across was they chose me over the South. Um, They shot the film and edited it in time to be ready for Kim Il-sung's birthday and Kim Jong-il was thrilled when they showed it to him at a preview, but little did he know. So they did go to Europe and not run off? Yeah, well... Wherever they went, they were sent with an average of 17 bodyguards. Okay, so they couldn't run off. That's right. It would have been very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. They kept their passports on their behalf the entire time. They They were, yeah, Yeah. being watched always. Um, While they'd been in Europe, though, they did have one opportunity that they grabbed. They arranged a meeting with a Japanese film critic who happened to be in Mm. Budapest when they were filming there. And they managed to give him the tape recordings of Kim Jong-il along with letters to their families explaining everything that had happened to them. And they asked the friend to please hang on to them, wait until either they'd escaped, they'd died, or for six Mm. months, whichever came first, and then hand over the tapes and the letters to the media in Japan (gasps) and South Korea. The ticking Mm. clock on that. Uh Like, we're either going to escape or die, but in six months, blow this wide open. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Which was not the timeline that they ended up working towards. Oh, my God, what? Tell me. Just before their first film was released, the film critic friend got a little bit antsy and released the tapes Mm. and letters to the media early, which obviously sparked... that puts them in danger. uh Uh-huh, big time. Um, All around the world, it was a media sensation for several reasons. Firstly, this was the first time most people in the world had ever heard Kim Jong-il's voice. He'd never spoken in Mm. public. Previously, what Mm. he was saying was totally scandalous, and it had been a total mystery what had happened to Shin and Che, and they finally had answers. Obviously, when this broke in the news in South Korea and then Japan and then all around the globe, the North Korean intelligence agency told Kim about it, and straight away he called Shin, and Shin was like, We're effed. We're effed. He's absolutely going to have us publicly executed in the cruelest way possible. But it kind of made it extra scary slash confusing that Kim seemed really calm about the whole thing. Mm. And then Shin was amazed when Kim said he believed it was someone on his own team who'd leaked the audio because Kim always had all of his meetings recorded and transcribed, including the one he had with Che and Shin. Ah. So he just jumped to the conclusion that he had a spy in his midst. One of those recordings had been leaked. Exactly. And told Shin that he was having 
pretty much everyone on his staff interrogated to find the mole, which for some of us might create a bit of a moral dilemma if we knew yeah. people were being interrogated and but tortured sorry. to find a mole that doesn't exist. Shin did but not care. Otherwise, you'll be interrogated and tortured. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what are you going to do? You got to yep. sometimes you got to look out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kim's focus for Shin was how to fix the problem and told Shin he had to go to Belgrade and host a press conference denying he'd been abducted, claiming he and Che had chosen to go to North Korea and the tapes were faked, which is exactly mm. what he did. And the whole thing was a farce. He got there, declared to the reporters that he'd left South Korea for North Korea and had never been happier. And the press sort of squinted at him a little bit and then launched into questions like, so why did you guys disappear six months apart and why did you make such a fuss when Che disappeared and blame it on North Korea? Why has Mm. no one seen or heard from you at all in the last five, six years? If you've been making movies this entire time, where are these movies? Can we see them? And also the big one, why didn't Kim Il-sung make a big deal about you defecting like he normally does with every single defector? He treats it like a victory. Yeah, like a victory. Like someone has decided to come to North Korea. And if Mm -hmm. you're this worldwide famous director, why didn't he make a big deal of it? Yeah. Exactly. And he couldn't answer the question, so he just sort of went... That'll be it. End of press conference. No further questions. Mm. Goodbye. And it was completely humiliating for him. It sounds a lot like uh, Novak Djokovic's recent press conference when he got back to Serbia. And they were like, but what about, but well, I mean, how come the day that you said you tested positive, there's lots of photos of you at an event with children. How come all of these? And he was like, (gasps) bye. End of press conference. Right. Seems like that's, yeah, the same sort of thing. Um, Kim was satisfied with Shin's performance. For the rest of the world, opinions were Mm. divided. Some people thought they'd been abducted. Some people thought they were traitors. But whatever the world thought at this stage still didn't matter. What really mattered was what Kim thought. So Shin and Che just focused on promoting the first film they'd released, Emissary of No Return, and for the first time ever, it was accepted into film festivals around the world. It was that good. So they then got but to I travel. But I bet also it wasn't just because it was that good. It was because that that press conference had happened and that stuff had come out and everyone was like, we're accepting this film just because we want to know more about what's going on. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they yes, people were curious what are Shin and Che doing in North yeah. Korea, for sure. They got to go to all the festivals and premieres around the world, like I said, with the entourage of bodyguards, so there was no yeah, opportunity so they for can't them run to off. disappear. Yeah. Yep. Um, they became the faces of North Korean cinema. And their first movie even won an award for Best Director, which went to Che because of the way she was credited for working on the film. So mm, they were thrilled. Kim was thrilled. It was all smiles for everybody. And the North Korean people, when they saw the movie, they nearly died. They'd never seen a decent movie before. They'd all been really staid, formulaic, poorly produced, poorly acted, awful films that were a punish to watch. And here, for the first time ever, they were seeing good acting, good cinematography. They were seeing footage of cities outside of North Korea instead of crappy sets on a lot, which they'd never seen before. They were seeing actual European actors instead of North Korean actors in whiteface. So Mm. it was like a revolution for them. The film was a massive hit. Kim Jong-il was like, you two are geniuses. Keep going. Do whatever you like. Go wild. Break 
some of the rules, not all of the rules, and let's mm. make magic. And they did. They made another six movies over the next wow. two years. They call it the golden age of North Korean cinema and North Koreans loved every single one of these movies, went to see them again and again and again. They were so refreshing and entertaining and informative. They were learning so much about the world outside of North Korea that they'd never mm. known anything about and it was fascinating for them. It was the first time they were seeing quotes from Western literature, from Shakespeare or the Bible. They'd never had exposure to that before. They were seeing footage of Paris and Tokyo for the first time and they saw their first ever kiss on screen. That caused a real Ooh. sensation. There had never been a romance story in any North Korean film up until that point. It, all movies had been about love for the country. Also, I love that you're saying like, oh, North Koreans went to see it and, and everyone couldn't get enough of it. They didn't have a choice to see it. They had to see it. It's not like you go and pay to go to the movies. In North Korea, they're like, you're seeing this movie and everybody has to go and watch it or it's put on their television. So, yes, everybody loved them, but it it they ha- they were forced to watch it as well. It's like the, that's how What made these different? People were choosing to go back and see them again and again and sure, again because you're they were absolutely going back. right. Mm. They were going back, but like they <laughs> they, they any media that North Korea makes, it's for their population to watch. Mm. So they make it to put it in front of their eyeballs. Mm-hmm. They don't just make them watch it either immediately after watching. They make them have like a debrief conversation with everyone oh. so they can talk about oh. the messages and everything yeah. that are in there just so they can make sure it's all really landed. Mm. Anyway, they were now seeing for the first time a musical and a romance mm. story and the first ever martial arts movie that had been made in North Korea. And yeah. Shin and Che became the most famous people in North Korea after the Kims. They were national heroes. Everyone adored them. They kept yeah. winning more awards at film festivals around the world. And Shin was having a great time taking full advantage of the resources Kim was making available to him. He could use the entire North Korean army as extras anytime he needed them. <laughs> and oh, like, say if he wanted wind in a scene, Kim would arrange a helicopter for him to use so as a wind machine. In, in spite of himself, even though he's kidnapped and being forced to make propaganda films, he's also just being given an unlimited budget to do what mm-hmm. he's best at. So he's kind of just enjoying it. Yes. Aspects of this he fully acknowledged were yeah. like a dream come true. One of the most extreme examples of having this unlimited, ridiculous budget. Shin wrote a sequence that involved a train explosion. Kim gave him a real operational train filled with dynamite to explode on camera (laughs) rather than doing a little model replica. Um, So this, it was like Shin and Shape, they had everything they'd ever wanted in their careers, but if they stayed and enjoyed it, A, they'd never see their families again. B, they'd be continuing to support a tyrant and a corrupt system. Yeah. Um, So they were still plotting to escape. They were just waiting for the right moment. Kim had no idea about this. He truly believed Shin and Che were his friends, his allies. He was showering them with gifts like Rolexes and Mercedes Benz. Yep, he thought they were totally on board. And he thought that they were now ready to dominate global cinema with an international blockbuster, something that was going to knock people's socks off, blow their hair back. He wanted them to make a Korean version of Godzilla. <laughs> and what are we, mid-80s? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so okay. by this time, there were 16 Godzilla movies and Kim yeah. was a big, big fan. And when he thought about making his own Godzilla-type franchise, he thought about the box office potential. He thought about the merchandise opportunities. Mm. He saw dollar signs. So he worked with Shin and Che to produce their largest scale movie to date of their entire careers, even pre-North Korea. That movie, you can watch it on YouTube. It's called Pulgasari. And it is basically Godzilla with horns set in medieval <laughs> Korea. And oh it's God, magnificently it. bad. It's so oh, dreadful. But what? it's beloved as one of those so bad it's good movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While at the same time definitely being recognized as by far the worst movie Shin and Che ever made. But yeah. Kim and all the people of North Korea loved it. And Kim was certain <laughs> this was it. This was the golden ticket. We're going to get into yeah. the international market with this. We need to be ready. And he sent Shin and Che to go set up a distribution office in Vienna, Austria, because Vienna, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, Austria, neutral country between the USSR yeah. and the West yeah. at that time. So that was the gateway to getting Western distribution partners. That was their stepping stone into Hollywood, essentially. Yeah. Um, so they were being sent to Vienna and they knew this was their moment. This was the best yeah. shot they'd ever had to make a break for it. They headed off knowing they were probably never coming back to North Korea. Che was a little bit torn up knowing everyone she'd known there for the last six years was probably going to be interrogated and punished yeah. for not doing more to keep them loyal. Um, Shin couldn't give a shit. Off they went. And while they were there, the stars aligned in so many ways for them. So like I said, normally they'd travel with an average of 17 bodyguards. When they went to London one time, they had 30 bodyguards. This time they could only have three because they had to drive across the Austrian border in one car. Normally, when they got to the hotel, the bodyguards would get the adjoining room to Shin and Che, mm-hmm. uh, but at the Intercontinental in Vienna, they couldn't get adjacent rooms. And normally at night while they were sleeping, there would be a guard sitting in their room at a desk watching them sleep. Oh, but these Jesus. rooms were so small, the guards didn't have space for a desk and yeah. a chair as well as a bed. So it meant Che and Shin could plot alone while they were there. And they arranged mm. to meet up with a journalist who was going to do a feature on how they were overhauling North Korean film. And they were mm. going to do an interview over lunch. And they told the bodyguards, you're really going to have to keep your distance. It's important this journalist doesn't think we're prisoners. If yeah, we're going to yeah. get investors and distribution partners, you're really going to have to be discreet. So mm, stay back. Smart. Yeah. And on the same day where they were going to meet with the journo, Shin asked for a member of staff to come up to his room and handed that member of staff a note saying, we're prisoners. We want the US government to rescue us. Please tell the American embassy come and get us. Mm. And then when the time came to meet up with the journo at the front of the hotel, he held out his hand to greet Shin and Che, introduce himself, and Shin literally pushed the journalist and Che into the back of a brown taxi, jumped in and told the driver to floor it. And the journalist was sort of like, what is going on? Che and Shin's hearts were pounding like they were going to burst. Che looked out the back window and saw already as the car was driving away, the bodyguards were piling into a white taxi that started following yeah, to them. Chase them. They explained to the journalists, we were kidnapped. We've been hostages for the last eight years. We need to get out. We need you to take us to the US embassy, please. But first, we have to lose that white taxi. The people who are inside that are going to kill us. And the journalist yeah. translated the message into 
German for the taxi driver. He started taking detours all around the city, finally managed to shake the white taxi at some traffic lights. Mm. When he did, the taxi's radio crackled on and the dispatch lady came on saying like, hey, brown taxi, where are you going? The white taxi's Mm. meant to be staying with you, but they've lost you. The journalist handed the taxi driver a fistful of cash, told him, lie, tell them we're going north when really they were going south. He did, but Che and Shin couldn't relax. The traffic started to get worse and worse to the point they were barely moving, which was like the worst form of torture for them. Yes, when you're on the run. Yes. When they reached a point where they could see the embassy, they decided let's just bolt for it. So they got out of the cab. Ran. It was only about 50 meters. Che said it felt like they were running in slow motion. It really felt like they were living the climax of one of the movies they'd made because they had made scenes exactly like this. And in those scenes, gunshots rang out at the very last moment. So they were Mm. expecting to hear guns firing any second now and that there was going to be some sort of tragic ending. But they made it. They got onto American Ah! soil. They declared sanctuary. They told the receptionist they'd escaped from their guards. They'd been captive for eight years. They'd like to please seek asylum. And she just sort of said, okay, have a seat. Someone will be right with you. (laughs) They told the receptionist. (laughs) They were so used to this. Apparently this happened a lot in Vienna, people defecting Mm. from one side to the other. After about 20 minutes, a US agent got back to the embassy and was like, oh, you're here already. I got your note and I went to the Intercontinental to rescue you. you. But here you are. Cool. All right. What's up? And they told him and his colleagues the whole story. They were instantly, welcomely warm. uh, Yeah. Instantly welcomed by the, yes, that one. Yes, that Um, one. And treated like the assets they were because they had this incredible intel about what was going on in North Korea and they'd Mm. been so close to the Kims. So then they were sort of moved around to a few different safe houses around Europe until they finally got a plane to the US and there they hosted a press conference in Washington, D.C. and told their story to the entire world. Everybody Mm. obviously completely shocked about what they'd experienced. North Korea denied, denied, denied that they'd kidnapped them, said that Mm. absolutely Shin and Che had practically begged Kim Jong-il to come to North Korea and it had all been part of a plot to steal four million of North Korea's dollars, which technically Shin had done before he left. He had four million dollars put into an account only he could access just before Mm. they disappeared. He considered that to be their payment for all the work they'd done. And I don't think that's unfair. But the Austrians ended up confiscating it anyway. Mm. Um, We can pretty safely assume Kim Jong-il would have been angrier than he'd ever been in his life about Mm. this betrayal. Um, Everyone involved in Shan Chin's life was probably punished and tortured, but we can only speculate. We just know that North Mm. Korea never made any good movies ever again, despite the ongoing efforts of Kim Jong-il. He refused to let go of the dream. You'll love this. He tried to make a knockoff Titanic in the late 90s. <laughs> Stop yep. it. Can you watch it? Yes. Oh, oh I've only seen snippets it. of it. Um, yeah, even seeing those little snippets, like it's, again, dreadfully bad, but he was so desperate to make an international blockbuster. Oh, he didn't I need give to get up drunk and until watch he that. died. Mm-hmm. I need to get drunk and watch that. Okay, yeah. 
if we find the link to the whole thing, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, and then Shin and Chase stayed in the US until 1999. They started off in the Witness Protection Program in Virginia for a few years, and then when it seemed like it was safe to do so, Shin wanted to go to LA because he was desperate to get back into Mm. the movie business. He changed his name to Simon Sheen and he sold the idea to Disney to make a movie that was kind of like a Home Alone meets Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles meets The Karate Kid called The Three Ninjas. Do you remember? Mm. The Three Ninjas? It ended up becoming a semi-successful franchise. There were four of them, but that was sort of the peak of his success in the Mm. US. And Shin and Che weren't really happy living there, so they decided to take a chance and move home to South Korea, which was mm. not a great choice for them. A lot of people there still thought they were traitors. Maybe not purpose. Che, but yeah. definitely Shin. They could see the lavish lifestyles that they'd been living while they were over there and how much fun they were having making those movies. Mm. People found it difficult to believe that they hadn't chosen to end up in that position. When yeah. they arrived in Seoul, they were arrested and it really didn't help their case that when they were arrested, they were still wearing the Rolexes Kim Jong-il oh, had given them. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. And I mean, so a Rolex, Shin, a Rolex. Mm, no matter who gave it to you, it's a Rolex. But it's a blood <laughs> you, Rolex. Mm. No, nah, but you keep it. I'm sorry. You keep it. <laughs> Maybe anyway. just don't wear it as you're going through customs coming into a country yeah, that sure. doesn't really like you. Um, yeah. Tried to restart their careers, just didn't happen. Shin died very poor in 2006. Um, wow. And like I said, he openly acknowledged that the eight years they were in North Korea was the worst time in his life personally, but the best time in his best life professionally because he never had to worry about money, which was something he was terrible at his entire career. Mm. Che lived on until 2018 though, which meant she oh, lived long yeah. enough to see, yeah, Um she saw all the footage on TV of the people in North Korea, like you said, mm. very theatrically mourning the death of Kim Il-sung in 1994 and then mm. Kim Jong-il in 2011. And then to see Kim Jong-il-sung, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un, not only take over the country but become friends with Dennis Rodman, which is its whole yeah, Brit- own episode for another time. Well, I was going to say this reminds me a lot of how Kim Jong-un quite infamously loves basketball and mm. di- didn't kidnap but paid Dennis Rodman what I'm assuming is millions of dollars to come mm. over to North Korea and do basketball stuff. Kind of mm-hmm. just basically, he is my famous basketball person. I want to force him to hang out with me. But it was Dennis Rodman's choice. Mm. He, he was like, yeah, if you pay me enough, I'll go. And he did, mm-hmm. which is bizarre. Mm-hmm. That has the potential to be a just the gist episode of its own. Easily. In the future, so I won't go Dennis into that. Rodman going wild. to Yeah, Dennis Rodman going to North Korea is the most bizarre story, but mm-hmm. And so, so that, my dear is what, just the gist. But what happened to Che? Well, she died in 2018. Up yeah. until that point she was being looked after by family. Um in the final few years of Shin's life, she was focused on nursing him because he was quite unwell. So they they stayed together till the end. Yep. That's right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, look, if your relationship has ended and you're divorced, <laughs> the one thing you can hope is you'll get abducted by the dictator of North Korea and that will bring you back together. I told you this is the perfect Valentine's Day story for anyone and everyone. So then she died in 2018 and that's mm-hmm. that's that. 
And that's the gist of the time Kim Jong-il kidnapped a movie star and a director and forced them to make a remake of Godzilla for him. Oh, my God. That was such a good story. Wowzers. It's a lengthy one, but it's as condensed as I could get it. Um, Yours are always lengthy. Come on, let's not lie. Yours are always lengthy. If they had made them like the superstars of North Korean cinema and -hmm. then they just defected. I mean, North Korean people don't get outside news or anything. So as far as North Korean people are concerned, they just disappeared, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so have they just erased them from history? Like you're not Mm -hmm. allowed to talk about them or watch their films anymore? So some of the films are still permitted. Any scenes that Che was acting in were all cut from any copies of the films, which means a lot of the movies don't make sense at all anymore (laughs) because she was a very big part of the plot as the main character. Their names were removed from all credits of any of the works that had been done. And, yeah, they essentially did just try to scrub them from the record um, and then demonise them to all the North Korean people as well Mm. by calling them traitors, schemers, liars. But also they'd spent all that money on those movies so they didn't want to get rid of them completely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So now you've just got some nonsensical movies. Yeah. A few were pulled from distribution. Um, Yeah. uh, Kim was particularly bitter about Pulgasari, so he actually just wanted to kill that movie completely. But, of course, it leaked out and... I'll put the link in the show notes. You can watch the entire I cannot wait to rubbery watch that. thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want more, there's a really sensational book by a guy called Paul Fisher. It's called A Kim Jong Il Production. And mm. that goes into like 12 hours of detail if you listen to the audiobook version. It's sensational, though. Highly recommend that. There was a documentary made in, I want to say, 2016, um, Mm. which features interviews with Che, both of her kids, Shin's brother, and he's interspliced with a lot of footage from the movies Shin was making, both pre and during his time in North Korea. Um, And I'll also put a couple of links to some podcast episodes that um, had interviews with some of the experts on North Korea that I found really fascinating as well. This has been such a wild one to research. I've had an absolute ball with this. Yeah, far out. I just, can you imagine if today, like really the equivalent is like to, to really sort of put it in perspective, it is like if North Korea kidnapped someone like Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt mm-hmm. And had them there for six years and forced them to make movies. Like, that mm-hmm. is what it's like. Completely. That was the gravity of it. Like, that was the importance of these people that they took. And, wow, it's nuts. Mm. You can just imagine the shock after they disappeared for five years and then all mm. of a sudden it's released to the world. Tapes of them having a conversation with Kim Jong-il about him having kidnapped them Mm. and these letters explaining where they'd been and then all of a sudden they just start appearing at premieres and film festivals all around the world. Such a farce. It's so weird. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And a lot of people did see through the farce but what's really surprised me is the amount of people who to this day believe that Shin and Che chose to go to North Korea and that the tapes of Kim Jong-il were just faked and that their claims 
are completely fabricated yeah. and that they'd done this whole thing just to steal $4 million from Kim Jong-il. If, if you were stuck in a horrific abusive situation, you have no choice but to make the best of it for your own safety and sanity. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you chose it. It just means you're doing what you can to survive it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. And, you know, for them as well, given the opportunity to make these movies, it was part of their cover. They had to make the best movies they knew how to make Mm. to appease Kim Jong-il to keep him satisfied. So they went ahead and used all the resources he'd made available to them. And, yeah, it was part of self-preservation. Well, if Jacob and I ever disappear for a couple of years and then all of a sudden we pop up doing pro-North Korea podcasts... You know that we have been kidnapped and we are both being housed in North Korean mansions with clothes that fit us and the skincare that we like and that we don't agree with what we're saying, but we're making the best of a bad situation. (laughs) Right? Let's just make that clear now. We didn't, we don't agree with Kim Jong-un, but we're just trying to get by. And also the clothes are really nice. (laughs) Our code right? word will be Nagodis. Nagodis. We'll say Nagodis. Nagodis. That's if no, but we're gonna say Nagodis a lot, I think, from now <laughs> until well like, if we say Nagodis, we've been kidnapped by North Korea, and then we say it next week and then we <laughs> kick off a whole thing. <laughs> what is something you and I absolutely would not say? Like negative gearing. Negative gearing. Negative gearing. That's it. <laughs> I'm really interested in negative gearing. If you ever hear Jacob and I on the podcast talk about how interested we are in negative gearing, please send diplomats to save us from North Korea. <laughs> or NFTs. Bitcoin. Or NFTs. Basically anything financial. Anything financial. Stamp duty. Uh, backward synergy overflow. No, offsets. negative gearing. Offsets. Negative gearing is the code word. Word. If we ever say that, send help. We've been kidnapped by North Korea. Okay, guys. Bye. Love you. Bye. Listener.